First John chapter one, verses five through seven. <clears throat> this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We we read throughout scripture this following description of believers, and it comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We read this, yet we lament that there are so many people in the world around us, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, people everywhere who seem to have no interest in church whatsoever, no enthusiasm for spiritual things, people who don't even want us to talk about our faith in their presence, people who don't want to have anything whatsoever to do with the one who we know is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, are we having an impact as the light which Jesus has said we are in our community, in our families, our neighborhoods, our workplace, where we go to school? Or are we rather, as the description is here that we are not to be, lights that are put under a bushel, lights under a bowl, hidden from view, so that the community cannot tell that we are lights, so that even our close friends are sometimes wondering whether we are lit at all. For all of us, the message needs to penetrate into our hearts and minds. John puts the message simply, God is light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we are his own. Yet on the other hand, the opposite side of the coin, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Many people are opposed to any sort of negative talk or negative thinking by Christians. Positive talk is all that they want to hear and all that they want to speak themselves. If it's negative, they say, let's not hear it. But we see that there are some definite negative words in Scripture itself. These are negative words that John has written. In fact, he's chosen to write the negative side of life before he even goes to the positive side, which is in comparison. Look first at verse 6. Here it makes it, cl- it makes it clear that those who claim fellowship with God yet walk in darkness are what? Liars who do not live by the truth. And following that is the positive presentation, the upside of things. In verse 7, if on the other hand, we walk in the light, as God himself is in the light, then we are related to him, and we are related to those others who know him as well. See that? Not only has the apostle himself spoken a negative word, I think he wouldn't make it uh, at home on the range where the deer and the buffalo roam, but we can tell that John wants us to realize But there are some who, because of their lives, they need to be discouraged. They need to wake up. 
Such people need to stop sleeping. And he wants the rest of the people in the class to open their eyes as well, to make sure they're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, looking around, seeing where there are those who are sleeping and where there are those who are wide awake, to be able to recognize who are part of God's people and who aren't. What is behind the whole trend? The people want things upbeat and positive. It's the idea that we don't want to feel bad. We don't want other people to feel bad. We want them to be uplifted by God's Word, not downcast and uncomfortable because of what God says. Whereas really all that we need to be worried about is presenting God's Word in its fullness while allowing God to work in people's hearts through the Holy Spirit as He chooses to work. Now, if we give a negative word from God a positive spin, if we do that so that people are encouraged rather than convicted, we have manipulated people. We ourselves have endeavored to play God rather than being blunt and faithful to what God says, rather than just saying, this is what God says. We try to give it a positive spin. We're saying, now that's not quite good enough the way God put it. I need to do something to it to make it more acceptable, to make it go down more like a spoonful of sugar. And what we really need to do is allow God to be God, moving people in their hearts according to His will, not endeavoring to manipulate people's hearts and minds ourselves. We need to allow Him to move people's hearts as He desires to move them, through the work of His Holy Spirit, rather than trying to be theatrical and entertaining ourselves. Being a teacher or preacher, although this truth applies to any who are Christians, having one of these two particular tasks is the most difficult work around because it always carries with it that element of speaking God's Word to people who would rather hear anything other than God's Word. Now, obviously, oftentimes when we speak, when we talk to other people, we're talking to believers as well as to people who don't believe and don't have any regard for God's word. But even for believers, there is in us that element of pride, of selfishness, and all those other personal traits which go together that get in the way oftentimes when people try, no matter how gently, to correct us by pointing us to what God says about something. Now, I know from personal experience that when Sandy says something to me, even when I know she's right, what do I do? I turn on the heat. I get all worked up and upset, sometimes for good cause, but most often because I don't like to be corrected. Like, do any of us like to be corrected? Certainly not. And yet we do that even though someone is showing us that there is a standard by which we need to live, by which we need to walk. And so these personal traits, pride, selfishness, get in the way, even when someone says, "Uh, just look here for a second, what does God's word say about this? Even though we are people who want to live by God's word, we still have these things that get in the way. 
and they cause us not to like it when we're corrected even gently. Now, we all like to be liked. We all like to be held in high regard. We all like to be important people. That's understandable. But when your work is to deliver God's message, you'd better put being liked on the back burner to simmer. Because that is an ambition that will seldom be met. We are even told by Christ that we need to beware when all men think well of us. And that is a recognition of the fact that applying, that living out, that teaching God's standard is not anything which really is likely to lead to the highest accolades, awards, and thanks here on earth. More important is for us to have this goal, which John fulfills as he lays it out in verse 5, than to try for human praise, for human rewards. Here's the goal as he speaks it in verse 5. Now understand he's not presenting this as a goal. It's just something that comes forth from his life. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. To John, the issue of primary importance was to do God's bidding. Specifically, here he is talking of delivering a message faithfully. He's not worried about the negative impact that his message will have upon the readers. He's not looking for an environmental impact statement before he fulfills God's mission for him. Now, understandably, he would be concerned about what the impact of God's message would be upon the people who were listening, because if he weren't concerned about the impact of the message, he'd have never written it. But he's not concerned about what they'll think of him, John. He's concerned about what they'll do, having read his inspired words from the Lord. Will they make the right steps? Will they do the right thinking? Will they do the right meditating? Will they take the right actions based upon what God says? Hearing these words, reading these words from the Lord. Or on the other hand, will it turn some of them off? We know that God's word has a vast teaching on a, a huge array of subject matter. And it's all geared to help people walk in the light, because God is light. Obviously, if, his, if He is light, then His Word is light as well. And so God's teaching in His Word is geared to help us walk in the light. And we read here that it is also geared to help us have fellowship with other believers, and most importantly, forgiveness of our sins, which is the only way in which we are able to have fellowship with God Himself. Now, as we know the vastness of his word and the fact that he is behind it, even as it goes forth, we should be fearless. We should be extremely bold. Much of it is negative. Everyone would agree that hell is a negative concept. The mere thought of it, if we have any biblical conception of it whatsoever, would be enough to make us quake in our boots. But even as God teaches us words of life, even as people who walk in the darkness hear His Word, His intention is not to depress people. God did not give us the light in order to discourage people, in order to make them fear for their eternal lives, to put the dread of Him upon people. Those are not the results which He desires to create in people 
who see the light in his word, who read it, who hear it. Those emotions may come. They may come along the way to seeing that it is a light of life. In fact, many of us may have experienced the fact that uh, I was reading uh, within the past week, Nehemiah. And the people had gone back to Jerusalem and they had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem despite the try attempts to scare them off by many of their neighboring enemies. When they got it all done, what did they do? They got together and they read for more than one day God's word to the people. Now they hadn't read the word or heard the word recently. It was unavailable to them. When they heard this, they began to weep and to put sackcloth and ashes on their heads. And this is an interesting illustration of this principle because the priests and the leaders said, hold on, guys, don't do that today. This was the first day. You are not to do that today. This is a day of celebration. Okay, first day, you got the Bible out, you've heard it, and you say, oh, we've fallen so short of God's standard. Wait, celebrate. And this is the idea behind this. God's word is a word of light. It's a word of life. And it may bring about these negative feelings. It will bring them about in many cases. But what God's intention is, is through all of these things, is to bring about something that is terribly unusual in our hearts and our minds. What he wants to do is to bring about evaluation within us. He wants us to start doing self-evaluation. Evaluation, thinking about it. Where do I stand? Where am I at? That is what these positive and negative statements are all about in our passage as well as elsewhere throughout God's word. For God wants to awaken us by looking at his light to where we stand, not according to our net worth, our IQ, our social status, our interpersonal relationships, marriage, family, work, our achievements and rank, but instead, as the light of the world, he wants to shine upon us so that our eyes are opened and lit well enough to see the state of our lives spiritually. Where do I stand with relation to God? And when that light shines into our lives, you understand the rest of these things won't be left alone. It will illumine every dark corner of our lives. We will see everything, all of these other things as well, our net worth, our IQ, social status, interpersonal relationships. We will see all of them as well from a different perspective because there will be light shining upon them. That is what he wants us to consider. And for that, we must see both sides of the coin. The right side, the side of light, and the wrong side, the side of darkness. There are at least, of course, three positions that people can be in from what we gather in these verses. First, there would be those who would not even be reading this whatsoever. Those who made no claims whatsoever to a relationship with the light, which is God. Such people are in darkness, and they wouldn't ever say to the contrary. 
they are not even addressed here. But second, there are those who claim to have seen the light of the Lord, people who claim to know Jesus Christ, yet by this description they continue to walk in darkness, and therefore they're not described as being poor misguided souls. There's something much more harsh which is spoken about them. They're described as liars who do not live according to the truth. And that word liar, even, it hesitates to come off your tongue because it is such a... It's a word that makes you jump. Thirdly, there are those who walk in the light as he is in the light. And by doing this, they have fellowship with others who are in the light, and they have forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is also fellowship with God. These then are the categories. We all fit into them, one or the other. These are the categories by which, more importantly, God is desiring for us to judge ourselves. <clears throat> As we think to ourselves, <clears throat> where do I stand? These, they're following that. Two things to notice from the context. First, it doesn't matter where you say you are. Second, what really matters is how you are. The way in which, as the passage indicates, the way in which you walk is what really counts. God is described here as being light. In him there is no darkness at all. Many people like to claim that his light of illumination has brought them as well into the light. That they are his people. While we see from these verses that not everyone who makes that claim really are his followers. Because if they truly had seen the light, the darkness would be gone. For God's light is one which removes darkness. Wherever God's light is shining, darkness cannot exist. So the first point which is revealed by these words is this. It doesn't matter where you say you are. Now we know this, true, this is true. We know that words don't necessarily mean a thing. We see this all around us every day. We see it in national news. We see it in the situation in the Middle East. We feel it in our daily lives as well. Perhaps you have someone you work with who you see telling things that aren't true, lies to other people. And then you start to wonder, well, if they'll say that to that person which isn't true, how do I know what I'm being told is true? And so we know that it's true here. As verse 6 says, claim, people claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. That there are many people whose words are empty. You can't go far in life to realize this. From the little kid who says, I didn't take a cookie. If he sticks out his tongue, you see the crumbs on it. And the hand behind his back has got one in his, in his fist. And it's humorous, because we know that's just a part of human nature. But adults do exactly the same things, just in different circumstances. John doesn't use the impersonal third person here. When he talks about people who claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, he gets extremely close to us. He says, if we make such a claim, yet walk in darkness... When we get away from him, her, them, to we, that's the point at which you and I 
must look in the mirror. Where do I stand? And the meaning of all of this is that talk is cheap. Really, talk can be ignored. When we look in the mirror, when I examine myself, I am going to need to ignore what I say. It may indeed be true when I say I have fellowship with God, but saying it never ever made it happen. Saying it never made it true, except for when God says it. When we say it, it doesn't necessarily bear any resemblance to the truth. So the fact that I have always been a churchgoer, the fact that I, as many, perhaps most or all of us, were raised in Christian homes by parents who took us to church, the fact that I can say I remember a specific point in my life when God's light shone in my life, all of these are good, but talk is cheap. Even if it is the best of talk, even if it uses the most pious and holy and convincing words and phrases, talk by itself, as we understand from this here, it's worthless. And so that's why the second part is so desperately necessary, which comes out of verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> Two, what really matters is how you are. The way in which as the passage indicates you walk is what really counts. What details the accuracy or the inaccuracy of our talk is our walk. In both cases described here, this is true. Those who claim to have fellowship with him, what? They're proved to be liars who do not live by the truth because while they speak of light, they walk in the darkness. While those who have fellowship with one another and who are purified of all sin by his blood are shown to have these blessings if we walk in the light. How do you and I walk then? To walk as it is used here means the way of a person's life. The way of life. Your way of life. My way of life. And the two different ways of walking are shown here. Walking in the darkness or walking in the light. We all fit into one of these categories or the other. And it is terribly important to know which one describes our way of life or we have in a hope of a chance to be walking in light. Now throughout time we know that people have sought to use their brains to judge where others stood with regard to God. It's a fun thing to do. Oftentimes it makes us feel better. Eh, so-and-so doesn't quite cut it. Okay? Is so-and-so a believer? Does she know Christ? Now this here, what we are reading in our passage, it doesn't give us a way to determine where other people stand. Although it does let us know that there will be people who are fakes among those who call themselves believers. And when, when, we, when we see there will be people, we think, ah, great, well, that leaves us off the hook. When you recognize that it's using the we there, we have to realize that we have to look at ourselves because we ourselves could be fakes if we are not careful. When we start looking for fakes, we'd better beware because we can easily take that, that description of the fact that a person's walk determines where they stand with relation to Jesus Christ. And we can take that and make some broad generalizations and rash assumptions from that. Many people believe quite sincerely in their hearts that those who drink alcohol cannot be Christians. 
Others believe that a person who commits or has committed adultery cannot be a believer. Or that someone who has stolen money, abused family members, taken drugs, uses pornography, cheats in school or lies. Many people think that those who have done these things cannot be Christians. But notice one key point in reference to the fact that the word walk is used here. And it is walk that shows our faith or lack of faith. John does not say our steps determine our status. It says our walk shows where we are with relation to Christ and his forgiveness of our sins. Now steps are those points along the way, those points in time. Walk is the whole general direction, the way you're headed, the way you're getting there. Steps are points in time. And so it is important to recognize that we are to judge ourselves and to look around us at others based on walk, not based on those points in time when a person may fail. Every one of us fails at points in time. The walk gives a general direction. It is a whole lifestyle that is in question here. And as we will fall under God's judgment for judging others by their failures, in other words, those steps where they have failed, we cannot judge ourselves by our successes. We cannot judge ourselves by our steps either, rather than by the totality of our walk. Just because I don't drink does not mean that I am walking in the light of God. Just because I have never committed murder doesn't mean my sins have been taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just because I never lie, I never cheat, I don't get involved with pornography, none of these, none of these other things which indicate steps, sins, if I don't do them, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that I am in fellowship with other believers. What counts is where I stand in the light. Am I looking for God's light to direct my walk? When I hear what God says about honoring parents, remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy, not gossiping, bringing all my requests to Him in prayer, studying His Word for direction in my life. When God's light shines and I see it shining, what do I do? This is walk. It's not enough to stand still. Talk is worthless. What we need is more looking to the light and more walking in the light. What we need to recognize from all of this is that John is giving us a description of God which is that He is a light. And this means that He brings light into the lives of those whose lives He touches. This is part of the way in which He brings light into our lives. And so as we look at this passage and we understand that the walk shows where you are. It's not the talk that shows where you are. It's the heart that shows where you are, not the tongue. We have to understand that God's Word has an an incomparable value as light in our lives. And we have to say, when I see it, what do I do? If I am in the light, when I see it, I walk down the path that's lit. If I'm not in the light... Even if I see it, I choose my own path. I go through the underbrush. 
I go down the broad way rather than the narrow way, which is lit by the light of God. And so from this, John is seeking to have us examine ourselves. God would have us say, where do I stand? Where do I walk? Don't pay any attention to the things that aren't important. Don't pay any attention to talk. Don't pay any attention to the fact that that some people can quote Scripture perfectly. That's important. But you can't pay any attention to these. What you need to say, what direction am I going? Is God's light leading me? Or am I walking around with my hands over my eyes? What happens when God says, this is the word of the Lord? Do I say, yes, Lord? Or do I say, that's pretty good. I'll try something else. And so if we are to walk in the light, we must take his word, we must take the light that he gives us, and we must use it to direct and guide our lives. This is what walking in the light is all about. Let us pray. Dear Father, we ask that even as you have been gracious and merciful enough to give us your light, to bring us to light, that we might have fellowship with you through the forgiveness of Jesus' blood shed for us, to have fellowship with other believers, that we might work together in joint purpose, that the world may know you and glorify you. We ask that as you have been gracious enough to give us your light, to show us all of these things, that our hearts would refuse to hide it, that we would refuse to turn on our heels and walk the other way, but that instead we would realize that as our steps may fail, as we may fail at certain points in time, nonetheless, you desire for our hearts to be focused towards the light, for us to be looking towards the light like compasses point towards north, to be moving in that direction. And so we ask that your light would illumine our lives, that we would walk in it, and that the light of our lives, which comes from you, would be brilliant to those around us. And we ask all this relying upon your Holy Spirit to do a mighty work within us. In Jesus' name, amen.